Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Eisenhower Hour with Dwight Eisenhower. You can call me AJ, and please reach out with any questions or requests. Twitter at Eisenhower Hour or via email eisenhowerhour at gmail.com. Let's open the episode up today recapping a very interesting and topical interview from Crowdsource the Truth, special guest author Kimberly Ells, who's the author of the book Parent Hoodlums. Kimberly joined Jason Goodman and Charles Ortel was also a guest on the show to discuss her new book, The Invincible Family. She has researched the radical feminist UN policies, many of which akin to the dystopian novel A Brave New World. She wrote the book to give hope and encourage people not to give up. The strongest human bond is the family. It is the natural order of society and has withstood socialism, communism, war and famine. However, it is once again under attack, and we must protect it against the nefarious globalist elite agenda. The COVID-19 lockdowns. The Agenda 21. The UN lockstep programs. Let's stay positive. We can beat this. Later in the same episode, Charles moved on to a law and order discussion. He provided an insightful juxtaposition of the reaction of the mainstream media to Roger Stone's recent commuted sentence versus the pardoning of Susan Rosenberg by President Clinton. Rosenberg was convicted for explosives possession and she was involved in multiple robberies, bombings, and police officer assassinations. She spent 16 years in prison, and at the time had 42 years remaining to serve, that is, until President Clinton pardoned her on his last day in office. Rosenberg has applied her radical Marxist beliefs, leading fundraising efforts for Black Lives Matters. This brought up Charles's recent work on Twitter. If you don't know Charles, check him out at Charles Ortel on Twitter. He's a has a Wall Street banking merger and acquisition history, and he's using his wealth of knowledge in this area for good, to expose corruption and help us see what's really going on. Recently, he's been educating Fortune 500 companies who brag about donating to a fraudulent charity, Thousand Currents, which is associated with the aforementioned Susan Rosenberg My understanding of what Charles has detailed in previous episodes is that Black Lives Matter is not a registered charity and it uses 
fundraising organizations such as Blue Active, Thousand Currents, and GoFundMe. At best, this lacks transparency, and at worst, it is tantamount to a money laundering scam. It also opens up a Pandora's box of tax issues for the IRS, who predictably seem disinterested in addressing. Basically, the problem is that companies are donating money and assumedly claiming a tax deduction for a donation that is not to a registered charity. No discussion of fraudulent charities would be complete without discussing the evil genius of the Clintons. Charles is an expert in uncovering the illegal activities of the Clinton Global Initiative, which also has many irregularities with setup and management. Starting with the Clinton Global Initiative Asia Limited, a private company created in Hong Kong during 2007. The organization declared a $200,000 endowment. In 2008, Clinton Health Access Initiative, Chai, part of the Clinton Foundation, Chai's CEO and president had to admit the misappropriation of $23 million of restricted grants. Chai was forced to restore the $23 million from an undisclosed fund. Charles presented a memo on the Clinton Foundation letterhead detailing that the government of Norway gave the Clinton Foundation $5 million in 2007, $6 million in 2008, and $8 million in 2009. However, they were not disclosed in the annual report as a government grant. Other irregularities include the claim in the 2007 annual report that $49 million worth of donations received by the Clinton Foundation were various cash donations below 2% limit, rather than disclosing donors. The biggest donation was $34.7 million, and this donor was not disclosed either. The IRS does not investigate these irregularities, and the audit company BKD appears happy to turn a blind eye and sign off on the returns. The alleged fraud is a scam where individuals claim to donate large sums of money to the foundation to take a tax deduction. However, there's no way to reconcile these donations to the annual report. In truth, the donation is far less than what the individual claims as a deduction, if anything at all. The murkiness of the foundation setup and poor reporting is enabling this behaviour. Also, it is alleged these funds were used to run the Hillary Clinton presidential bid. It is illegal to use foreign donations for this purpose. Also, none of the Hong Kong activity was disclosed. Another researcher I have been very interested very interested in of late is Bishop Larry Gators. Bishop Larry is an advocate for 
exposing hidden Masonic history and other secret societies. His work is so detailed that it's very difficult to summarize, so I would encourage you to check out his work at Bishop Larry Gators YouTube.com slash Global Spiritual Revolution Radio and Media Group. Go through some of his work and if there's any specific topics that he goes in detail, please let me know and I'll do some further research and put together some summaries of that area. On another crowdsource the truth episode, we had a very interesting discovery, well, discovery for me anyway, with guest David Hawkins of ReverseCSIScripts.com. I was interested to learn that during World War II, BBC had close relations with RCA America. These relations were centered around powerful transmitters that the RAC RAC could not sell due to FCC regulations. These powerful transmitters could transmit radio signals over very far ranges, which the FCC wanted to restrict so that markets could be separated. But these transmitters were able to be sold to the UK. These transmitters were used at the precise time the Germans would switch off their transmitters in an effort to make it more difficult for Royal Air Force bombing raids. As German transmitters were switched off, the UK-owned, RCA-sourced, Aspidistra transmitter was switched on, and fluent German speakers would broadcast propaganda from the BBC. It is evident that this relationship continues in modern day under a company called Serco. The BBC is the biggest broadcaster in the world, with an estimated audience of 550 million people. Serco is the world's largest non-state air traffic controller, amongst many other things. Does this propaganda effort continue today via fake news mainstream media? Let's investigate. First we have to look at the Federal Bridge. What is the Federal Bridge? The principles of the bridge are that the root level are at the root level and are the central control of information. This root-level authority is the master authority that passes on information. Spinning off the root are the certificate authorities, the local certificate authorities, that are advised they can communicate with other certificate authorities because they are both known to the root as a trusted source of authority. The flaw in this chain of command is that you can compromise the individuals at the root level and take control of the entire network. There is an interesting Boeing patent for 
a pre-coordination of return link for a handoff between coverage areas for a mobile transceiver platform. The patents are aligned through the Federal Bridge, which exposes the possibility of a man-in-the-middle attack. Boeing's preferred supplier of command control communications is Serco. This can be used in conjunction with another patent, the spoken text display method and apparatus, for use in generating television signals and communicating blocking notes, which are instructions to the actors to move into position during a man-in-the-middle attack so that presenters are appropriately positioned to what they are saying so that the audience has a clear view. This can then be synchronised with other elements in the crime scene that would be used to remove evidence of the attack, i.e. a clean-up crew. bit on David Hawkins' history if you don't have time to check out his website, I'll, I'll just give you a brief overview. In the 1980s, David Hawkins built the world's most powerful interface into big data for the oil industry while working at the Schlumenberg Research Center in Connecticut, USA. He was the coordinator for AI and geoscience research. The proof of concept worked on at the time, detailed in Volume 18 of the International Journal of Man-Machine Studies, January 1983, titled An Analysis of Expert Thinking, where he warned AI systems should not be used as a substitute for an accountable human expert because in the wrong hands the system was dangerous. He then moved on to a career at Raykel Defence Electronics. David asserts the interface used by Serco is called Trial, Usability, Maturity, Process. The acronym TR coming from Trial, UMP, Trump. Not to be confused with President Trump, of course. This facilitates the strategic need during a criminal insurgency of a handoff to transfer a crime scene setup and manipulation in real time to a double cross agent. This may sound far fetched, but in the media recently, we know of other private networks used by criminals. For example, the recently shut down Phantom Secure. It was an encrypted cell phone network where a user would use a specially modified BlackBerry. The purpose of this was that communications were only seen within the network and could not be seen by anyone outside the network. It was estimated by the FBI that there were up to 20,000 users worldwide. Sticking with Crowdsource the Truth, 
and specifically a uh, look at the Sunday with Charles, obviously Charles Altell format. It's one of my favorite formats because Jason and Charles get out of the studio and walk around with a camera and have their discussion while giving a tour of New York City. The knowledge Charles can share without the access to any notes or computers is astounding. Charles brought up a recent announcement that the real Christopher Steele source of the infamous Steele dossier is Igor Danchenko, a criminal, also on record for multiple arrests for disorderly conduct. He had no sources, despite claiming to have multiple sources in Russia. Steele knew this. Fiona Hill, a witness in the impeachment trial against Trump, knew this too. So did the source who could not be named during the impeachment trial, Eric Chiamella. They all worked together at the Brookings Institute, a notorious left-leaning Washington think tank known for using lawfare to intimidate its opponents. Many people, including the FBI, knew back in 2017 that Igor Danchenko was completely unreliable. Despite this, we had to endure three years of Russian collusion hoax, and then the Ukrainian hoax. Also, Lindsey Graham has revealed that the FBI lied to Congress about what was going on with the FISA court documents and how badly the Steele dossier had been impugned. A crucial group in getting the defamatory dossier into the public domain is now known to include John McCain, Harry Reid, obviously Steele himself, Steve Strobe Talbot, and Cody Shearer. There was an organised effort to lend the credibility of the Brookings Institute along with the State Department. Strobe Talbot was a Rhodes Scholar with Bill Clinton. He was in Malden College, London. Bill was at University College, London. The list of Rhodes Scholars who graduated from Oxford gives you the names, lists the year, and what college. In Bill Clinton's case, it is listed as an honorary degree. Why is that? Strobe was in Oxford from 1968 to 1970. At the beginning of that period, Nixon was elected and there were very high tensions with anti-war protests at their height. The Soviet Union was very competitive with the USA and eager to have access to Americans young Americans with promising careers, and used them to cause division in the USA. Against the odds, Talbot was chosen to translate Nikita Khrushchev's memoir. The notion that an American graduate student living in London would be chosen to work on the Khrushchev memoir translation 
seemed suspicious. He later spent his career concentrating on Soviet Union matters and became known as the principal architect of globalism, teaching at Yale University. Then he became deputy deputy secretary of state under President Clinton. He ran the Brookings Institute from 2002 to 2017. These 15 years saw the 9-11 tragedy, followed by the exponential growth in the security state, as well as the multi-trillion dollar wars. This raises questions on Strobe and his background. There should be a review of the Talbot and Clinton security files and ensure nothing is missing. Beginning at 1968, when Clinton arrived at Oxford, It was at this time Clinton started to get involved with speaking at anti-war protests across Europe. And he also travelled at this time on vacation behind the Iron Curtain in the Soviet Union, Czechoslovakia and Norway. This was during a time when it was very difficult for people from the West to travel to these places. At the time Clinton was not rich. It raises the question, how did he fund a trip? Why did he choose the Soviet Union? And what did he do over there? Clinton is not known for his good behaviour, now or during his time at Oxford. He was actually asked to leave Oxford for accusations of misconduct, including rape. Looking at any Clinton scandal... They have encouraged us to to look away, creating distractions. I have heard Charles give this version of Bill Clinton's history several times. It is way off from the Wikipedia official version. However, given the gravity of these claims, it is interesting that there is no reaction from the former president. Also, given the numerous other Me Too Clinton incidents, including trips to Epstein's Island, it does fit the reputation. Over the years, the backroom deals where globalists have sold out their country to fast-rising economies, including China, has resulted in the oligarch families generating enormous wealth in their countries. In return, the sellouts receive funding of their foundations. We know the Clintons have profited from this. It is time to investigate Talbot to see if he has also profited. It is necessary to determine how much money has been paid to politicians and policy influences across the spectrum by the oligarchs. Other big news of note is Trump recently upping the ante against Obama and Biden over the Obama scandal, Obamagate scandal, stating that a lot of people should see prison time and that the evidence is available. There was also a stark warning of penalties of crimes such as treason 
are worse than going to prison. We'll have to see what action will be taken. Okay, switching gears to uh, another type of presenter, researcher, Dan Bongino, ex-Secret Service agent, host of the Dan Bongino Show, which is available on YouTube. Media hypocrisy. Liberals are liars. The mainstream media is over-hyping coronavirus. However, in writing cities, the narrative in the media is not concerned with corona being spread by the vast mobs, but blaming Trump for street violence. The narrative in the mainstream media is that the country is in flames because Trump is not controlling the country and Biden is needed for unity. The media only cares about the virus when they can use it to damage Trump. If they think another narrative will be more damaging, this will take their focus. The interesting phenomenon in Portland where cases are trending up highest in the state. Despite businesses being shut down and freedoms restricted for the rest of the population, there is no attempt by the mayor to shut down Antifa street violence. The same trend occurred in Seattle, where rioting has been out of control in parts of the city. Portland is in chaos. There was an assault on the courthouse. Trump sent in federal law enforcement to prevent the federal public property from being destroyed. The Oregon AG was in the process of suing the federal government for allegedly violating protesters' civil rights. The so-called protesters were using commercial-grade fireworks as incendiaries and lasers as weapons to damage law enforcement eyesight. A previous Vice President Hopeful nominee and Obama-era National Security Advisor Susan Rice, who is also embroiled in the Obamagate-Spygate scandal, claimed the federal agents are working for a security, private security firm, ZTI, This was based on misinformation spread on social media where a social patch with the unique identifier ZT1 was misread. The irony is that Nancy Pelosi recently criticised the federal enforcement of being stormtroopers acting like unmarked ninjas. The ZT1 type ID, as opposed to using a name badge, is used because a federal agent is at risk of being doxxed, which risks the federal agent's life as well as their families. In the lawsuit, the AG used videos of protesters being detained. 
One of the videos had to be withdrawn because it was fraudulent. It was from a city in another state. Continuing with Spygate developments, the New York Times, along with the rest of the mainstream media, have been propagating the Russian collusion myth. Steele's primary source for the Steele dossier has been a closely guarded secret. The narrative being peddled was that Steele put together the information for the Steele dossier based on information from a mysterious primary subsource. This dossier was given to the Clintons, who passed the information on to the FBI to be used as evidence to spy on Trump. It is now known who the primary subsource is. Was it a Russian with connections to Putin, as claimed by the mainstream media? No. It was from within the left-leaning think tank, the Brookings Institute. The claim by Steele that it was high-level source inside the Putin circle turns out to be an organisation one mile from the White House, the aforementioned Brookings Institute. The New York Times, rather than admitting they have been wrong all this time, blames investigative journalists, who they describe as Trump allies for uncovering the truth about the succession of Democratic Party crimes that were committed during the spying scandal. The mainstream media's debunked and discredited lies have done significant damage to the USA, and they still will not stop their propaganda with an aim to cover up the biggest political scandal of the century. The dossier was the core of obtaining the FISA warrants that were used to take the unprecedented steps to spy on the Trump campaign. Also, it was used for the intelligence community assessment. That's shortened to ICA, which I will, for obvious reasons, refer to as ICA from now on. That was released in January 17, which was an attempt to falsely accuse Trump by the mainstream media that the Russians wanted Trump in office and they achieved it through collusion. This was all based on what was sold as an ICA from the 17 agencies. However, we now know it was all based on a fake dossier. An example of this is the claim in the dossier that Putin did not want Hillary elected because he hated and feared her. This claim was quoted in the ICA by the 17 agencies. The mainstream media then used this as their narrative to discredit Trump. So in summary, the intelligence community put together an assessment during the Obama presidency based on a dossier, effectively from the Brookings Institute, and no one in the media questioned the validity of the document. The connections between the Brookings Institute, the impeachment hoax, and Spygate explained. Devin Nunes, House Intel Committee Ranking Member, 
has long speculated Steele effectively fabricated the contents of the dossier. He explained a recent court case in London involving Steele where the direct links between the Brookings Institute and the dissemination of the information of the dossier. There is evidence of a text trail between the Brookings president and Steele. He insinuated that although the information is fake, it is attributed to real people. How did the Brookings Institute know to link up with Steele, or vice versa? Did Obama tell Steele to tag the fake information to real intelligence sources? The names of these sources were classified. Someone gave them to Steele. Steele attributed the information to the classified sources. Then when they were interviewed during the impeachment trial, they refused, under oath, to back up what Steele had attributed to them. The president of the Brookings Institute at the time, all this was going down, was none other than Strobe Talbot, who we spoke of earlier in this episode. A senior diplomatic official in the Clinton presidency as well as United States Deputy Secretary of State from 1994 to 2001. It has been documented that Talbot was also appointed to Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's Foreign Advisory Board. Talbot shared the dossier with his Brookings colleague, Fiona Hill, who went on to serve in the Trump administration April 2017 to July 19. She turned witness in the impeachment trial against Trump. Was the Obama administration coordinating Spygate with then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton? When Spygate failed, Trump got elected anyway, the deep state moved on the Russian collusion hoax, Mueller probe, to try and scare Trump into an obstruction charge, the same type of charge Roger Stone was found guilty of. When this failed, they moved seamlessly onto the Ukraine hoax impeachment based on a phone call and a fake quid pro quo claim using the same people involved in the Spygate hoax. All these scandalous scams are run by the same anti-Trump cabal. Why do they want Trump out so desperately? Follow the Money, the title of Dan's latest book. And we'll just finish off with uh, some more irregularities of the Clinton Foundation. Pay to play. An excerpt from the Wall Street Journal. Clinton charity tapped foreign friends. This article was back in March 19, 2015. The foundation agreed not to seek money from foreign governments, but cash kept flowing from individuals with connections to them. 
Just one example is 2009 to 2013, when Hillary was Secretary of State. The Clinton Foundation received at least $8.6 million from the Viktor Pinchuk Foundation of Ukraine, which was founded by a successful business leader who served two terms in the Ukrainian parliament. They were introduced by Doug Schoen, a pollster who worked for both Clintons. And I'm sure he wet his beak on the transaction somehow. Well, that wraps it up for episode two. Please consider following and or contributing to all the researchers I have quoted in this episode. I'm not looking for any contributions for any of my work, but if you could contribute to them, I would greatly appreciate it. All I ask if you could is if you could spread the word and share my work with your family and friends. It would be greatly appreciated also. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to sharing the next episode with you.